Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. And today we are bringing you a series of frustrating cases, and we are going to be talking about four different missing women in North Carolina. And I chose these women, um, I guess, kind of in particular because I had read about them on Charlie Project, and it's really frustrating because there's not that much information about any of them. So there's not enough to do one episode for each person. So we're going to do one episode with all of them in there. Not that they don't deserve their own episode, but just so that there's enough for you guys to listen to. The first case I want to talk about is Jamie Fraley. The sources for her are Medium, Charlie Project, Gaston Gazette, GastonGov.com, Charlotte Observer, WBTV News, Yahoo News, and ncmissingpersons.org. Jamie Fraley was born on March 5, 1986 in Gaston County, North Carolina. When her mother gave birth to her, there were several complications that led to developmental issues with Jamie. She was incredibly petite as an adult, and she stood at five foot, or excuse me, four foot nine and was roughly 90 pounds. Jamie was diagnosed with bipolar and anxiety disorders when she was young, which contributed to some other health issues she experienced. She had been on medication for a while, but she told friends and family that it made her head foggy and she didn't feel like herself. Jamie never got her driver's license, but was fortunate enough to have friends and her mother who would help her get around. She was a very social and fun girl and a very avid reader. In her late high school years, she began struggling to keep up and decided to drop out. In 2006, when Jamie was 20, she moved in with her fiancé, Ricky Simmons Jr., who sometimes went by Jr. Because his father is Ricky Simmons Sr., I'm going to refer to her fiancé as Jr. and his father as Ricky Sr., Jamie was unable to work because of health issues and received Social Security, helping maintain her independent life with Junior. She had friends who fell into hard drugs and alcohol abuse and decided that she wanted to be a substance abuse counselor. Jamie was always looking to help people. She actually maintained a MySpace page for missing persons and was always eager to help. In January of 2007, Junior got arrested and sentenced to 15 months for larceny. Jamie visited him as frequently as possible and wrote him letters, maintaining a strong relationship with her fiancé. He was going to be released on April 29, 2008. During this time, Jamie was going to Gaston College part-time to get her GED so that she could then begin working towards being a substance abuse counselor. It was also during this time that she became close to her to be father-in-law, Ricky Sr., who lived in the same apartment complex two doors down and did maintenance in the complex. But Ricky Sr. wasn't exactly the kind of person you wanted as a friend. In 1986, when Ricky Sr. was 25 years old, he strangled his ex-girlfriend, 24-year-old Donna Miller, to death because she broke up with him. He was on so many drugs that he had to be hospitalized for potential overdose before going to jail. He was admitted to a mental hospital for suicide threats while awaiting trial. He was given 20 years for manslaughter. That's it. And after six years in 1992, he was paroled, 
which what a fucking slap in the face to Donna's loved ones. The sentencing is already bullshit. And then he stayed in trouble and has also been arrested for theft, larceny, and drugs. Kim Springer met Ricky Sr. in 2003. He was a painter for her family's business. She ended up leaving her husband and three kids in Charlotte to live with Simmons Sr. She also had a bit of a background. In early 2008, she was still living with Ricky Sr. But hey, I'm not suggesting in any way that befriending somebody who has a past is a bad idea. I am simply suggesting that befriending someone who is a convicted murderer may not be in your best interest. But I am just a podcaster, and at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is, Ricky Sr. was Jamie's fiance's father. So honestly, it was probably a good move for her to be as kind to him as possible. So whether she approved of his past or not wasn't really a factor for her. Ricky Sr. was very nice to Jamie and would frequently help her out with rides to run errands. Ultimately, Jamie had confided in friends and family that Ricky Sr. would often flirt with her. No article I read stated that she felt particularly threatened by his behavior, so it kind of seems like she sort of just accepted that it was part of his personality and she wasn't going to work about it. But that is pure speculation, because without talking to Jamie, it's impossible to know. At some point in 2008, Kim and Ricky Sr. separated. I tried to find a specific date and reason, but I couldn't find anything conclusive. On April 8, 2008, Jamie called her aunt to tell her about intense stomach pain she was feeling and that she had gone to the hospital. They discharged her with a prescription and a stomach flu diagnosis. That evening, still sick, Jamie called Ricky Sr. to take her back to the hospital. After he dropped her off, she was told it was a several-hour wait, so she decided to call Ricky Sr. to pick her back up, but he didn't answer the phone. She called another friend who was able to pick her up and dropped her off just before midnight back at her apartment. Just after midnight on April 9, 2008, witnesses saw Jamie enter her apartment. She called her mom to talk about her illness, and her mom offered to come pick her up. Jamie denied this because she had an appointment in the morning with social services and the person assigned to pick her up would be there in just several hours. The next morning, the social services person came to pick Jamie up for her appointment, but Jamie didn't answer the door. She knocked several times and tried the door, which was locked. After several minutes, they left. After not hearing from Jamie for two more days, they tried contacting Jamie again. When she didn't answer, they decided to call Jamie's mom. I do want to point out that it was not out of character for Jamie to go without talking to family for a few days. But her mom was concerned when she was told that Jamie missed her appointment. After not being able to get a hold of Jamie herself, Jamie's mom called the police to do a welfare check. I do want to mention that Jamie's mom's name is Kim, But since we have another Kim in the story, I'm going to keep just referring to her as mom. So the officer did a welfare check that same day, April 11th, and said there were no signs of forced entry or a struggle. Jamie's mom, aunt, and cousin decided to go scope it out for themselves. Inside of the apartment, they saw several things that concerned them. Jamie's purse and keys 
were inside of the apartment. Only her cell phone appeared to be missing. Jamie always wore one specific pair of shoes or another, either flip-flops or a certain pair. Well, the other pair was there, but there were no shoelaces there, and they couldn't find them. Nobody had ever seen Jamie remove the shoelaces from those shoes before. Lastly, there was dried vomit in a few areas of the house, indicating that it had been there long enough that it dried, and Jamie was likely missing since the night that she had been sick. The family kept calling Jamie's phone, and eventually, someone answered. It was a man who stated he found the phone while repairing lines for the cable company he worked for in the middle of the road. It looked as if it had been thrown out of a car. It was three miles from the apartment. The phone had been touched by so many people that police couldn't get any prints from it. They brought dogs to the area, but they didn't trace her scent to anything. When they found the phone, they checked her recent calls and discovered that her last activity had been around 5 a.m. on the morning of the 9th. A few calls were made from her phone around 4.30 a.m., but none of them were linked to her disappearance. At 1.30 a.m., the only clue about Jamie's potential whereabouts was there. A friend and her were talking, and Jamie told the friend that she was going to the hospital for the third time. Before hanging up, Jamie said, quote, I have to go. My ride is here. He's here. She did not specify to her friend who he is. She made a comment to this friend about a truck, leading police to speculate that perhaps she was referring to Ricky Sr., who drove a van. Jamie was not on record at any hospital in the area after that, so she made it there. She didn't go inside. The direction in which you would take from her apartment to the hospital was also the opposite direction in which her phone was found. When Junior got released from jail, he assisted in the search for Jamie and was cooperative. He lived with her family temporarily. His father, on the other hand, raised a red flag to police. After refusing a polygraph, he was unhelpful to police and they described his behavior as manipulative and cold. They got a warrant to track his movements. What they found was unrelated to Jamie, but also very alarming. He was stalking Kim. They told Kim, and she told them, that he had been violent previously, and she was obtaining a restraining order on him on May 9th, 2008. On June 9th, 2008, Kim noticed that her car had a foul odor. She opened up her trunk and found Ricky Sr. inside, deceased. He was 49 years old. He had a few of Kim's personal items and a knife with him. He had gotten into her trunk by stealing a spare key and had her purse, thinking that she would open the trunk to look for it. At that point, he planned to attack her, but he locked himself inside and died of heat stroke. There was an emergency latch inside of the truck, but he had drugs and alcohol in his system, leading police to think that maybe he couldn't figure out in that state how to open up the emergency latch in the trunk, or maybe he just didn't think about it. Some people theorize that Ricky Sr. had a role in Jamie's disappearance, including Junior. 
but with him being deceased, that means that information would now be unavailable. No further clues into Jamie's disappearance have ever been recorded, and she is still missing. If you have any information, you can contact that police department at 704-866-3320. So I think that for Jamie, that Ricky Sr. had something to do with it. I for so like my thought was like maybe she got sick like because obviously you know she called somebody to come and get her and she said it was a he so you know she did have friends and you know maybe it could have been one of her guy friends but like I feel like she was depending on Ricky Senior a little bit more than like regular friends in a way right so. Yeah, I feel like she called him, and my first initial thought was, like, maybe she got super sick, really dehydrated, and she could have passed out, and he, like, freaked out and um, basically, like, didn't want to get in trouble, quote-unquote, for, like, or he just didn't, he just didn't want to get, like, basically, basically he thought he was going to get in trouble. But then I thought about it a little bit more, and... um Maybe he just, he made a pass at her and she denied him and, you know, he got pissed off. And also the fact that he died in the trunk of his ex-girlfriend's car while trying to jump at her and attack her is karma, first of all. And it is, it is a, a great way for him to go since he was planning on attacking an innocent woman i just it's so weird to me because i feel like he doesn't have any issue getting in trouble so like why hide why try to jump her from her car why not just attack her out in the open like you're gonna be in the middle of a parking lot anyways you may as well just confront her but the thing that sucks about it is that if he is the only person who knows what happened to jamie that means we will never know what happened to Jamie. And I just don't understand how people go missing like that. Like, I just don't get it. And that's what this entire episode is going to bring to everybody. I do not understand what happened. Where did she go? In exactly. no way do I believe that she went missing on her own volition. Like, I don't think that at all. I don't think so either. I think whoever she got the ride from had to have done something to her because and here's here's what they said and what you said in the um you know what you said about it was like her phone was found in the opposite direction of the way they had to travel to go to the hospital why would they make a detour anywhere else but the hospital if she was so sick and she had to go for what was it a third time yes yeah, like, yeah, so there was definitely foul play involved. And like you said, like, I will never understand how bodies can never can never be located. Like, that's crazy. It is crazy. And with this, too, I just feel like even maybe she did make it to the hospital, but if she didn't, like, formally check in and get triaged, then she wouldn't be on record there. So... And there's no report of her, of them, like, checking cameras and stuff like that. They just saw that she was never put back into triage. So it's very possible she showed up and then 
left again. Like, we have no idea. She might have walked in and been like, how long is it going to take for me to wait? Never mind. Because, you know, she walked out the second time. So, it, and, you know, it could have been that, you know, when she got picked up for the third time then, if she didn't check in, that they just kept driving past her apartment. Maybe she took a ride from somebody. And it's just a really weird coincidence that, you know, somebody who could very reasonably be a suspect in this case died just a short while later. Yeah, that is true. I don't know. It's just so weird. And I feel bad for her mom because I know her mom offered to take her to the hospital and she said no. Yeah, and she also was like, do you want to come over for the night? And she was like, no, no, I have my appointment. Like, I'm fine. Right. I think that's, that's, yeah. And I feel like maybe, like, when, um, because it was the social workers that had to go and pick her up, right, for that Mm -hmm. appointment. Yeah. So I feel like once, like, she didn't, she wasn't there and answered, like, I feel like their reaction time should have been, like, a little quicker. Like, I understand, um, you know, they probably got a lot of shit they have to do, and this probably happens a lot to them. But I don't know. Like, I feel like they should have contacted her family as soon as she stopped, like, as soon as she wasn't answering the door for them. I don't know. I guess I kind of disagree with that. Because, like, with social services, they're probably really, really used to, or social security, whatever. Mm -hmm. They're probably very used to people not showing up. And people not, you know what I mean? So they're probably just like, oh, whatever. Like, I was actually kind of impressed, on the contrary, that they even thought to reach back out. Like, to me, I would just think, okay, missed appointment, check. You know what I mean? It's like not showing up to court. Okay, goodbye. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I get it. Um, Yeah, I don't know. This, I don't, I don't know. I keep going back and forth, but I just, I don't know. It's just weird to me how this all happened. And there's nothing else like i mean oh also hold on actually i just thought about it the shoelace was it was it both shoes were missing shoelaces or yeah one shoe? both of them that is fucking weird right i agree and also she her bag was there so like right. where why would you have left to go to the hospital without your purse like that doesn't make sense and i don't know maybe you know at the time you didn't have to show your id when you get to the hospital but i feel like here it's like they ask you a thousand questions they ask you for your id and i suppose you don't need to have one but it just to me makes sense that you would show up with all of your like belongings so it kind of seems like her cell phone could have been in her pocket you know what i mean so for her to only Mm -hmm. have left with her cell phone makes perfect sense to me like if somebody like approached her at the door and then grabbed her like, that would be consistent yeah. to me with, okay, well, her keys are inside of the apartment, her bag is inside of the apartment, but she and her cell phone are missing. That is true. I just don't know. Yeah, me neither. This one is a tricky one, for sure. Pretty Ashley Porter. Sources are Charlie Project, True Case Files, and Gaston Gazette. Ashley was born on April 2nd, 1987. She went by her middle name, Ashley, and she lived with her mother, Tanya, her younger brother, Chauncey, and stepfather in Gastonia, North Carolina. She graduated high school in 2007 and worked for a manufacturing job. To Tanya's knowledge, Ashley was not involved in any drug use and only occasionally drank alcohol.
On Sunday, April 19th, 2009, Ashley was 22 years old. The family went to church together that morning, and Ashley had dinner with her family inside of the home before spending some time on MySpace. She left and spoke with a neighbor and returned home at 10 p.m. When she came inside, she told her mom goodnight and went to her room to go to bed. The next morning, Tanya wanted to borrow a coat of Ashley's. Wanting to get into her closet, she knocked on the locked door of Ashley's room, but she didn't answer. After a few minutes, Tanya called for her husband to get the door unlocked, and when he did, they were both surprised. Ashley wasn't in her room. Ashley's purse, phone, money, and clothing were all still in their place in that room. Her window screen had been removed and was lying on the floor. Ashley's mom figured that Ashley snuck out of the window to talk to someone and was intending on returning home shortly. Tanya thought that one of Ashley's ex-boyfriends, an abusive guy who the family didn't like or approve of, possibly came to her window since he knew he wouldn't be allowed inside. When she hadn't returned later that day, Tanya figured Ashley must be with friends. Ashley's mother did not report her missing until April 27th, eight days after she was last seen. Initially, police listed the case as not a crime missing person. After a while, for undisclosed reasons, the police recategorized the case and have publicly stated that they believe foul play is involved. Police spoke with the ex-boyfriend, but no detailed information is available about whether or not they cleared him as a potential suspect or person of interest. Ashley is an African-American woman who in 2009 was 5 foot 3 and 140 to 150 pounds. She has black hair and brown eyes. She has a tattoo on her butt and a burn scar between her thumb and index finger on her left hand. She also has a mole on her forehead. The Gastonia Police Department number for tips is 704-866-6879. Ashley has never been found and there is no public information about why they switched her to being potentially involved in fall play. My issue with this is that why would she have a reason to sneak out of her house? She is 22 and she's an adult. I know she lives with her parents, but still like, even if it was a guy that she wasn't like, nobody wanted her around. Like, I feel like it still wouldn't have been like that big of a deal for her to walk out of her front door to say, Hey, I'm going to go talk to these people or I'm going to go be with my friends because the same way her mom like assumed that next morning that she was just out with her friends, but she snuck out of the window. Like that's a little too nonchalant for me. Right. Like I feel like she 100% could, or she was already out like a couple hours earlier talking to a neighbor. Like why, would it not be appropriate for her to just do that? Like, it seems very weird to me, but at the same time for somebody to be able to like remove a screen and get in there and take her, it doesn't seem practical to me just because I feel like that would be loud and she would react. You know what I mean? Cause she's a grown adult. Whereas, you know, I can see how that can work with children and stuff like that. Sometimes, I mean, even then I really don't, but like if for her to have, 
pushed her way, you know, gotten herself out of the window makes sense to me is the problem that I have with this case is I can see how she thought for whatever reason she needed to get out of that window. My question is, even if it was to meet this guy, where did you go? Like, what the hell? Right, exactly. And then the fact that her mom waited, like her family waited so long to report her missing. Oh my God. That bothers me too. Like, okay, if I wake up, I don't give a fuck. Like, I could just imagine Ollie's like 22 years old living with me and I seen her screen popped out of her window and it looks like she left through her window. I would, I would immediately freak out. Uh, I mean, I know she's an adult at the end of the day, but at the same time, it's like, why do you have to go out the window? I, that bothers me so much. It's something like, it's significant in its own way, but it's just so major to me. I just don't understand. And the fact that she left like all of her stuff, her money, everything, like, even if she did sneak out to go meet this guy, like you said, where did she go? What happened? Like the fact that she just disappeared without a trace, it's it's not I'm not comprehending it. And I right. hate that. Right. I feel like she if she really did leave through that window by herself, she had full intention to come back. That's what it sounds yes. like. And that's yes. kind of what the scene looks like to me, too, because if you're sneaking out to meet somebody in the middle of the night, you probably don't need your shit. Like, I can totally see that. Like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to chat with him for a little bit. Like, I don't even want to deal with my mom. I don't want to talk about it. Fine. I'm going to sneak out of my window because it's that easy to do. Okay. But definitely. What happened? Like, Where'd you I go? I, like, snuck out of my house when I was younger. Like, once. It was only one time. <laughs> but, like... I um I didn't bring shit with me. I didn't bring anything with me. I didn't bring my phone. I didn't bring anything because I was literally just going to go hang out with my friends like down the street. But like it's but like you said, it seems like she had full intentions of coming back. Did it say? Um, I don't think you mentioned it, but in your research, did it happen to say like was her window like wide open or was it closed and just a screen popped out? Like she closed it whenever she went out of the window. It didn't specify. It just said that the screen was out. So I guess the way that I pictured it is her window was wide open. Like she opened up the window, took out the screen, and then like went out the window and was like, oh, I'll be back in a little bit and I'll put it back together. It's kind of how I pictured it. But I don't actually know. And I can, I guess I can see that like if somebody like, I just can't imagine how quietly, because the screen wasn't like torn. So for mm -hmm. somebody to be able to remove a screen from the outside would have to make noise. Like, I don't see how they wouldn't have like woken her if they like if somebody was doing that. And again, you know, I guess in the situation, you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe she wouldn't have made any noise and somebody told her to come with them. But to me, I just feel like that's not as practical as her just planning on leaving and coming back. And that's why, I mean, I get that maybe this was a thing that she did. Maybe she like snuck out sometimes and did stuff like this. And that's why her mom wasn't surprised. But when you don't see your daughter who lives with you, who lives with you for several days, why are you not worried? Like that right. just is baffling. Exactly. Like that's, it's so... It's so weird. And then on top of that, how, you know, they switched it from, you know, oh, she's just missing to now she's missing and we believe foul play was involved. 
Why? Why do you think that? Why won't you tell us why you guys have gone to that conclusion now? Right. Right. I have no idea any of that information. And it really sucks because (laughs) there's so many unanswered questions. So many. Shonda Stansbury was born on July 15th, 1982. She had been living with her four kids and a boyfriend in Virginia for some time before our story begins. When the couple split up, Shonda moved home to Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. Roanoke Rapids is in Halifax County and is near the border of Virginia, kind of north of Rocky Mount. So it's eastern, but not coastal. Upon moving home, Shonda got involved with some new friends and began drinking and doing drugs. I couldn't find any specific information on it, but Shonda had an unspecified medical condition that required medication. She was 24 at this point in time. Shonda had a very close relationship with her mother, Gloria Beggood, and also lived near her sister in North Carolina. On December 8, 2006, Gloria and Shonda saw each other. On December 9, 2006, Shonda was hanging out at the Waffle House restaurant that her sister worked at, which was located in Weldon, about five miles away from Roanoke Rapids. While she was there, her sister noted that Shonda had bruises on her legs, face, and head. A fellow customer at the Waffle House agreed to give Shonda a ride to where she was staying. I wish I could find more about this situation. I think it would be very telling to know if Shonda knew this person or if this person knew her sister or if they knew anything that was going on in Shonda's life at the time. Either way, this person brought Shonda to the trailer park where she was currently staying with some friends. That very same day, those friends asked her to leave. Once again, unfortunately, the details about this situation are unknown. On December 14th, Gloria was getting anxious because she hadn't heard from Shonda in days. Because of how close they were, they usually talked on the phone every single day. So at 10.15 a.m., Gloria reported Shonda missing. At 11.30 a.m. that very same day, a woman called 911 to report something very strange that she saw in Halifax, which is about 10 miles outside of Roanoke Rapids. Two African-American males were chasing a woman who was naked and screaming for help. This woman said not only was the woman running into the woods behind a grocery store, but she had blood on her face. And the kicker? The woman recognized her as Shonda. She didn't identify herself to police and they weren't able to trace the call immediately, but located her a few days later. As it turns out, this woman was acquainted with Shonda and confirmed to them that it was, in fact, her. As a reminder, Shonda was only reported missing just over an hour before this woman called to report the incident. So there's no way that she would have known that Shonda was potentially in any danger otherwise. So to me, that means she was probably right about that being Shonda. Unfortunately, of the people interviewed at the grocery store and in the area, Nobody saw anything. I do have a couple questions as to why, though, this woman didn't immediately identify herself. There aren't any further details, but I would think the police probably ruled her out as a potential suspect. Fortunately, the woman was able to give police a description of the men. She said, quote, between 28 and 32 years old, 5'8 foot tall with a dark complexion, big arms, and a stocky build. 
He was wearing jeans, a white t-shirt, and a baseball cap, and may have been bald. The other man was 5'6", with a medium build, light skin, and dreadlocked hair. He may have been wearing Timberland boots, jeans with patches on them, and an oversized button-down shirt, which was possibly brown or light brown. Searches of the area led to nothing. The initial search on December 22nd was the first time that the area was reportedly searched. That's over a week after this 911 call where Shonda was reported missing. They did another search on January 5th, 2007, and a third search on February 8th, 2008. The police brought cadaver dogs and searched major lakes in Roanoke Rapids, and they found nothing. Police think it's possible that Shonda experienced amnesia from an injury and forgot her identity, but she is considered endangered missing, and she has never been found. The sources for Miss Shonda are Charlie Project, WRAL News, and Roanoke Rapids Daily Herald. Wow. So, okay. Um, where do I begin? I know. Um, okay, why don't I just start with the obvious? Um, so, whenever you see some woman naked being chased by two men, what what do you do in that situation? Do you get out get out and go try to help her? Do you you just immediately you know call the cops and just sit there and wait? Like it's so like I I'm torn on what I think is the right thing to do because like for me like when you were telling it I was just like I would literally want to jump out of my car and go get her and like you know just I don't know how like I don't know but then in the back of my mind I'm like well these two are crazy enough to chase her in broad like you know like in front of whoever and like who's to say they don't have like guns or weapons I just I don't know I don't like this I know I will say though as awful as this sounds helping people is not always the right decision because here right. there's nothing you can do in this situation to fix it. You are only going to insert yourself in a way that is dangerous for you. So I right. think the appropriate move is to call the police, give a description to the, you know, observe as much as physically possible. Note the time, note the, you know, the exact place that you're at, note what people are wearing and what they look like. And, you know, even better if you know who the person involved is, but like, I, you know, we've talked about this before, but every time that either one of us sees like a suspicious vehicle or something weird going on, I'm like, okay, let me just make note of the time and of the vehicle. That way, like, if I see something on the news a couple days from now that in this area at this time something happened, I'm like, I knew I thought that was weird for some reason. Right, exactly. And, like, the other thing that drives me crazy about this is the fact that the woman who called this in didn't even say she knew her. Like, they had to, they, they found out after the fact that she knew Shonda. And that, why would... Why didn't you make that known that you know her name and you know who she is? Well, she did say like, that she thought it was Shonda. 
she did say that she thought it was Shonda. She didn't like identify at all what her relationship to her was. And I think it was really weird that she didn't want to identify herself. Like, cause to me, if you're not involved, why, why are you trying to be anonymous in this when you could potentially be a link to help answer questions? That is true. Unless like, you know, also we know she obviously knew Shonda, like unless she knew the two guys or, you know, whoever was chasing Shonda, like, Maybe she knew them and she was scared of retaliation. But then why would she call it all? That is true. That is true. I don't know. I'm so confused. And I, I just, it def, I, okay. So what about, what about the, when they said that she could have hit her head and has amnesia now, where do we get that from? Well, just because she was bleeding from her head that they're like, okay, well, maybe she had a head wound. Like, okay, obviously she had some kind of a wound to her head. But again, and we talked about this so many times because every single time that we talk about a missing person case who like maybe they're alive, we was like, oh, they couldn't have amnesia. I hate that theory. I'm just going to be flat out honest. I hate it because what would happen if you had amnesia and you didn't remember who you are? You know what you're not going to do is just be homeless and live in the middle of nowhere and not contact. It's not like when you get amnesia, you forget how to function. Like, it's not like that. And, you know, you can forget a lot of aspects of your life, even every single detail. People, like, they can lose their ability to remember how to eat and how to, you know, all these different things. But you don't just all of a sudden be like, oh, well, I guess I'm just never going to have an identity again. Right. I'm never going to like try to figure out who I am or anything. It's just, I don't, I feel like it's a cop out in a way. Like it's easy to say somebody could have gotten amnesia or, you know, it's just, it's an easy, it's an easy way to like help yourself think, I guess. And like, I know it's not a positive way either, but it's kind of, it kind of helps you kind of like come to terms with whatever happened. But I just feel like in this case, like, that could, for me came completely out of left field. Like I would, that would have been the furthest thing from my mind in this case. I agree. I think 100% that foul play is involved here. And it's, it's so crazy too, because she probably is one of those people that you could reasonably say, just based on what little I know about her from the research, that, you know, she could have had the potential to want a new life, even though she had children, even though, you know, whatever, like she was getting kicked out of where she was living. You know what I mean? She didn't have any stable home or stable income. You know, she was getting herself into trouble. Like maybe she did want to start over. But again, somebody who's looking to start over is not getting chased by two men. And here's the thing too, even if that was not Shonda, which I truly believe it was, because this woman who reported it did not know that people were looking for Shonda. Like, this is just, she completely out of the blue called the police and was like, I just saw somebody. I know who it is. Like, you know what I mean? It's not right. like she had seen her on the news and she's like, oh, wait, that looks like her. Oh, wait, you know what I mean? Like, no, to me, that, like, definitely was her. Like, that's the only way it makes sense in my head. And I know that could be completely wrong. And I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me. But that's just my thought process. And even if she survived that, I don't see her running off. Like, I just don't see it. Like, I can't think of a single reason that she would do that. And if she had amnesia, I don't see her 
you know, not trying to put together the pieces. And that's how I feel with everybody who they say has potential amnesia. I don't see them trying to not try to put the pieces together of any kind of life and just being like, okay, well, I guess this is where I live now. What? What? No. The last person I want to talk about today is Tamika Pridgen. And the sources for her are ncmissingpersons.org, Charlie Project, Q Center for Missing Persons, NCSBI, Boxton.com, WRAL, NC State Offenders Database, and WITN News. Tamika, who sometimes went by Mika, was born on September 8, 1984. She lived in LaGrange, North Carolina, which is between Kinston and Goldsboro. And if you're not from here, it's like halfway between Jacksonville and Raleigh in Lenore County. On May 12, 2001, Tamika's mother, Cassandra Best, was waiting for Eric Earl Mercer Moore, her 31-year-old boyfriend, to arrive when she fell asleep. She woke up at midnight and Tamika was gone. Cassandra began looking around and she noticed that Tamika hadn't taken shoes or any other belongings such as her purse with her, and she began to panic. Eric never showed up. Cassandra immediately reported Tamika missing. Cassandra had been on the phone with Eric around 10.15 p.m., and Tamika was in the room with her. Cassandra planned on breaking up with Eric that night. Initially, police treated 16-year-old Tamika as a runaway. They thought maybe she ran off to Goldsboro. They have since changed their opinion and consider Eric to be a person of interest in the case. It is believed that Tamika could have let him inside of the home and then he forced her out. They think this because Tamika's cell phone records show that she had been on the phone and they spoke with that friend who confirmed that Tamika hung up when there was a knock at the door. There were no signs of forced entry. Additionally, it was a cold night and it had just rained, so leaving without shoes doesn't make any sense. Cassandra said of it in an interview a few years later, quote, I know people don't just vanish. I do know that my first gut instinct on the situation was a person I was dating at the time. I really felt strongly that he knew what happened to her. I could be right or wrong, but I just feel that way. Eric is a registered sex offender and was born in 1970, who has been incarcerated for attempted rape on a minor in 2003. He was in jail for this from January 2006 till July 2015. The name and age of the victim are not public, but he has another charge against him for a sexual offense in 1989. Cassandra was unaware of his criminal background when they were dating. He also had a second-degree kidnapping charge and multiple assault and theft charges. Tamika has a brother, Rind Carter, who hadn't seen her in a while, but they had visited their father together in Raleigh when he had a heart attack. Rind tried to get as much media attention on Tamika as possible and was reaching out to different news stations and TV shows and even incorporated her in some of his hip-hop music. Tamika is an African-American female who in 2001 was 5'7", 165 pounds, and had black hair and brown eyes. She had braces and her ears were double pierced. She has still never been found and nobody has been held responsible. If you have any information, the LaGrange Police Department phone number is 252-527-5117.
So, like, this is really weird. Like, so her mom was waiting on her boyfriend to get home or get to their house so she could break up with him. And she wakes up and her daughter is missing. I, I don't blame... I don't blame anybody because, like, my initial thought would was uh, that he had something to do with it. Like, she, you know, they fell asleep on the phone. She broke up with him. She didn't um, actually break up with him. She was going to break up with him. And my question is, did he know that? Because I don't know if he knew that. There's no specific, like, quote of that in any of the research that I could find. And um, was there... Uh, was there anything that said like he had kind of like she kind of had like maybe like a feeling like he was acting um, like inappropriately with um, with Tamika? Nope. It was completely new to her when she found out that he had that history, but that made her very suspicious, of course. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, like, that would make anybody suspicious of you with that kind of past. Um, right. And, like, because, like, why else? I mean, I guess I could see, like, maybe she snuck out and something might have happened to her, like, something might have gone wrong. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, I hate when we do these just because, and I'm not laughing because I think it's, I'm laughing because it's just uncomfortable just not knowing and not being able to get a clear answer. I always say this. I know I do. And anytime we don't have any kind of closure for these cases, but it's just, it's hard. Um, I mean, he, he had prior commissions for kidnapping and like, I just, my heart just automatically goes to him. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, like, we don't know, like, maybe he did kind of get a vibe that, she, you know, that Tamika's mom wanted to break up with him and therefore exacted, like, a revenge type deal. But, I mean, it's possible. I don't know. Like, I feel like, I feel like if she was going to break up with him, she maybe she should have um no never mind my, my my thought like i finished my thought out and to, in my head i was like no that doesn't make any sense <laughs> i just it's so so shitty and you know she did all the right things reporting her missing straight away and you know i understand her feeling completely and i think what really solidifies it for me is that he never ended up, you know, showing up to the house that she's aware of. Like, I think if he was there, it would be completely different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure that people would find a way to point at that too. Like, oh, well, he's there, you know, so he obviously had seen her. But like, no, the fact that he was supposed to be coming over and never, you know, apparently never showed up, but now your daughter's missing. Like, that's a giant red flag to me. Right, exactly. I... I don't know. Like, I feel, I don't, I don't know how to feel, honestly. Cause, like, one, one thought in my brain is, like, if you're breaking up with him, like, you might want to try to, like, I don't know, like, take away his key or something. But then at the same time, like, if she wasn't even, if she didn't even get a chance to tell him that she didn't want to be with him, why would she do that beforehand? I just, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of feel like, there's two things, like I said earlier. I feel like maybe she snuck out, something happened to her, 
Because, I mean, she's 16, and it's the early 2000s. Like, it's just, there's no, there, you know, there is social media, like, MySpace and shit, but, like, it's not, I don't know. But keep in mind that she was on the phone and told her friend that somebody was at the door. So, like, unless it's just a really weird coincidence, and, of course, we're not making accusations. I'm just going to say it for legal purposes. We're not making any accusations. But he looks good for it. Like, yeah. it's, seriously. So, like his his criminal background doesn't help him at all. In no, this no, it doesn't. Um, like you're literally like uh, the number one suspect in my eyes. Like, uh, yeah. No. Anyways, uh, I know these are all terrible, but you can find pictures from this episode on our Instagram at. Crabs, drafts, and crime. You can follow us on Facebook from when we release our newest episodes at Crabs, drafts, and crime. You can follow us on Twitter at Crafts and crime. You. What else do we have? <laughs> uh, send us uh, your stories, any kind of story. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, we would love to be able to make an episode of those or something, and uh, we love to read you guys' stories uh, at Crabs, drafts, and crime at gmail.com. Yes, and if you would like to become a Patreon member, you can do that at Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. And I think that is it. Please keep listening and tell all your friends. And thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.